0: With drip, when I approached like Logan Paul, I sent him the shoes. Next thing you know, he's rocking it on like some red carpets. Tuned In Tokyo, which is my first eight-figure brand. We're the largest automotive apparel company in the world. Sixty-five percent of our sales for Tuned In Tokyo come from mystery boxes. For all of my products, I build products for my customers, for my community. Hello, Frankie. Hey, how's it going? How are you? Good. Good.
1: Whereabouts are you based, Frankie, at the moment?
0: Yeah, so I'm in uh, California.
1: Oh, whereabouts uh, in California?
0: I'm about 45 minutes away. I'm in uh, Riverside, California, <laughs> uh, from LA. So it's like, um, yeah, it's kind of towards, I don't know if you've heard of like Orange County. It's like towards that area.
1: Got it. Love all the, um, the paintings in the background, all the artwork, the Gandhi one sticks out. <laughs>
0: oh yeah i mean each one kind of like means something uh yeah definitely but for motivation purposes you know
1: that's super cool frankie how i first came about you i think i was watching one of your podcasts it was a clip i ran i on instagram reels maybe a year ago you were still talking about tuned in tokyo and you're sharing your story um and then i've sort of being in the e com space i've always just seen you pop up and that's sort of how i came across you and your stuff frankie please tell me and the audience a bit about who you are and sort of what you're currently focused on um, at the moment and i guess we'll take it from there
0: yeah so um uh... I I've been building brands since I was 16 years old guys uh specifically in the fashion and apparel niche um I started my journey really really young and now I'm 31 years old so I have like over 15 years experience uh just like every other entrepreneur that like claims uh that they started from rags to riches my story is kind of like no different but it's actually true and Like i've recorded the entire process i'm from uh, southern california and i'm first generation american so my parents migrated here from mexico and they literally came here with nothing not a single dollar to their name my dad lived under a bridge for a long time uh, never had no school education at all since nothing at all there's zero school uh he grew up in a ranch out there where basically you learn like you grow up and you learn to work with your hands my mother was literally born no different except she did kind of go to school a little she 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 was actually here in america like since like six years old or something like that and uh eventually they met up and yeah like little by little they uh worked things out and eventually had me so my childhood was like little more like it was just difficult for sure than than most people and they ended up splitting up at a when i was like three years old so we did a lot of moving during this time i am like trying to figure out why we're moving so much why i'm going from one place to another to another to another and i realized that the thing that was like kind of holding my me us back as like just us being stable somewhere was our financial status was money. So uh, I blamed everything, all the problems, the pain that my family went through on money at such a young and early age. I like seven, eight years old. I started realizing the brands on cars, like what's the difference between a Mercedes and the piece of junk Toyota Corolla that would be breaking down on my way to school. So I started realizing all these things. And uh, when I, I told myself that when I got old enough that I would do everything possible to get this money in the most legal and ethical way um, that I can. And luckily, like, this is like, I don't really, I wouldn't say my life has been very lucky. For sure, I have probably dealt with bad luck, but I did get lucky once and that my lucky break was definitely me finding my passion at 16 years old. So I fell in love with clothing and streetwear. And I had this crazy dream about never giving up, like, never whatever it is that I have, whatever it is that I can get, I will never give up on like pursuing whatever it is that I imagine. And um, I had that crazy dream about building an, a clothing empire. And during this time, this is like before, like e-com was really big and savvy, but I was one of the first people on e-commerce that before Shopify, before Wix, before Squarespace, there was a big cartel and there was no Facebook. It was MySpace at the time. And I just started like hustling my way through high school. And eventually like around 2014, I started like my, actual journey with building my first ever clothing empire before it was just me making designs getting by going through things and at 2015 it was like my draft to the majors and that's when i built tuned in tokyo which is my first eight figure brand we're the largest automotive apparel company in the world and it's for car enthusiasts it's like fast and the fierce meet streetwear clothing and I found that hole in the market where there was no one in this industry that had a clothing brand when you think about nowadays every community has like their own merch their own clothing. This is pre vlogs like the word merch wasn't really even around it wasn't used as it is today, so this is in 2015 so it's really, really early where e commerce was starting to really be public and boom. Like people were starting to talk about Facebook ads. Like influencer marketing wasn't even a word at the time. And I found this hole in the market where there was no clothing brand for this community. And I love these cars. I love the Japanese uh, era of JDM. And it's because I couldn't afford exotics or German cars. You're leaning towards Hondas by default and Acuras. stuff like that. So naturally I just wanted to make clothes for something that I was passionate about. And uh, yeah, that brand started to blow up. We did about 700,000 our first year in business. Second year we did 1.2 million. Uh, And this is like annually. And eventually we just gone on to do eight figures annually. And uh, the second brand in 2019, uh, which which is the largest company that I've ever built is Drip Creations, and Drip Creations we are the largest shoe customizers in the world, and we basically took a simple concept of decorating shoes and having like the balls to scale that. So what I mean by that is we had this crazy idea of being able to customize shoes at scale and the only way you can really customize shoes at scale is by building a team so it was less about branding and marketing and more about the logistics behind it but because i had 10 dec- a decade of experience with fashion clothing and in the in the different like details that go on with running an actual business a physical business like i'm talking about having employees running a team we were able to scale this to a five person operation to a 70 person operation and our first year in business with drip we did 4.5 million in sales and we grew our our instagram from zero to seven hundred thousand followers our first year this is in 2019 and uh, it was incredible for sure eventually we went on to creating our own shoe called the D1 that was our like purpose with that brand we, we didn't just want to customize vans and nike's we eventually wanted to create our own shoe and we did that in 2020 and then I ended up exiting the brand uh after two and a half years but we we did over eight figures in sales and it was like the most amazing opportunity because i met a lot of influencers a lot of con- connections and tuned in tokyo was has been awesome i still own the business but um my claim to fame has definitely been drip
1: that is so cool frankie frankie with tuned in tokyo that's currently doing eight figures every year annually is it majority from paid media organic
0: so like we're not afraid to go above and beyond like with tuned in tokyo we've checked off everything that we could have checked off. We're talking about like, if you go on YouTube and you type in tuned in Tokyo, you're gonna see me vlogging. Like i vlogged for my, I have like over 50 different videos of me vlogging. So I would do my day, my like eight to like six o'clock. And then after six o'clock, I would vlog and work on my car. So I would do how to videos and vlog throughout the day while I'm working on my business. So, we've done that to build an organic flow. Our Instagram has over a million followers. So, our Instagram is pushing like organic traffic. But for tuned in Tokyo specifically, most of our revenue does come from like uh, paid traffic. With Drip, a lot, I would say about 40% came from influencer marketing.
1: And then, does that mean? Every single day you guys are pumping out and testing five to ten different creatives and you have a Facebook ads team that does that and maybe one in every 20 creatives you could scale and make 50k out of that one creative and just constantly rinsing that.
0: Oh man, we have so much content for Tuned in Tokyo. It's ridiculous. I'm at least getting a folder of over a hundred different types of pictures and videos per month. So that's a constant progress of recycling over and over again um, for tuned in Tokyo. We have a smaller media buying team because what I realized is that I went from like agency to agency to agency and the best way to actually do like media buying and and just internal And marketing is is keeping everything internal within your business, because then you have full control think about it, you don't want to outsource the most important part about your business and that's the money making. That's the money making part anything to do with like controlling revenue should be internal and uh, yeah i'm never going to be able to outsource that Uh, till this day, I am the one I am the head marketer for all of my businesses and i am overseeing all of our marketing campaigns so we over like just with tuned in tokyo most of the time we have over 50 different active campaigns at a time on just facebook alone so like tiktok we'll have like 20 uh google is a little bit easier
1: and then how much percent of your traffic and sales and revenue is retargeting warm traffic versus cold
0: before ios 14 I loved retargeting. It was about 60% retargeting, 40% new traffic. Now it's like 70/30. So, 70% new traffic, 30% retargeting. Retargeting has gotten a lot more difficult over the years, but it's your follow-up game. So like just because you can't run ads and, and to that like entire list that you would have pre iOS 14 you can still do that follow up via email and via text message. So like your email marketing, your text message, marketing has to be on point and stronger than ever. And that's something that we take really serious. Another thing too is omni-channel presence. You can't just retarget on Facebook. You have to retarget on Google, on TikTok, and give them like an opportunity to continuously see that same ad that same product over and over again because most people think that just because they come to your site one time that that's going to lead to a sell more than likely that's not someone needs to see your product three four times before they actually make a decision and you might have to incentivize them push them towards that decision
1: frankie in the clothing space when people might have you know, twenty to thirty dollar profit margins. How do you get a CPA under twenty dollars on like Facebook or TikTok ads, especially for clothing when it's not this hot sort of new product? How do you get CPAs at ten dollars consistently over the year?
0: So Facebook or just media buying in general has gotten a lot more expensive throughout the years, and it's and the reason why it's more expensive because targeting has gotten a lot harder like all the different things that apple has done for iphone users specifically hasn't been in like an advertiser's favor at all and because of that it's getting more expensive think about like facebook ads as or just media buying in general as you getting in a lake full of fish but you don't know where the fish are at so the longer that you're on that lake The more time that you're spending, and time equals money in this case, and every single second minute that passes by, you are spending money. Eventually, you'll catch a fish, but then you have to think about how much money you've spent until you've caught that fish. So it's it's really the same thing towards Facebook, you're fishing around until you find that perfect area of all the fish that are extremely hungry. And then you dive in, then you give it your all. So um, with Facebook, my strategy isn't really playing on Facebook strategy. My strategy is built around my business, my brand and my product and my offer. So there's no company that I will ever build for the rest of my life that doesn't have an average order value of $100. And the reason why, is because I need to be able to spend anywhere from thirty to forty-five dollars to acquire a customer at scale. Yes, you can get your five, ten, fifteen-dollar CPAs when you're spending two, two hundred, five hundred dollars a day on ads. But when you're spending ten thousand dollars a day on ads, you best believe that you are going to spend. Forty plus dollars to acquire customers so i'm thinking before I even start a brand before I even do anything i'm thinking about those things at scale. So um, when you're when you set up your product your offer and kind of envision that you will be spending that much one day you'll be fine when you reach it and it's it's helped me over and over and over throughout the years, plus you get that organic flow of traffic if you're doing. events. If you're doing in-person sales and you're growing your Instagram, your TikTok and getting all of that organic, you're doing hype drops to all of your existing customers. So lifetime is going up too. And that's all of that. You should be looking at an overall five to seven X ROAS. Um, and that's what I've been getting over out, throughout the years. It was higher before, but that's what I'm seeing now for the past three years.
1: How did you calculate the ROAS and sort of take into account? Okay, if I spend money here, the customer might get the touch point, then they might see us at an event. And because then they see us on Instagram, like, how do you calculate that sort of overall
0: ROAS? My, my, mine's simple. It's like, how much did we spend? How much did we make? I use triple well. So triple well tells me that it's a clear indicator, true profit. Uh, but triple well is what I use. And it basically tells me how much I spent throughout all platforms. Um, And I just calculate the day as is. Like I spent this much and this much to try to figure out what ambassador, what meme page, what direct traffic. It's, It's just way too much and too crazy. At the end of the day, all that matters is how much did you spend and how much did you make? So over the last seven days, where are you at? Are you at a two? Are you at a four X? And that's what we're always aiming for.
1: And then Frankie, like, how do you get a AOV of hundred dollars, especially for clothing, especially on cold traffic?
0: Yep. So uh, mystery boxes, 65% of our sales for Tuned in Tokyo come from mystery boxes, or you have a product that's extremely unique that nobody can get. Like you can't buy that, and you can't walk into a mall and buy that product. So, you have leverage, you have power. Another thing is high perceived value, which means dine in service. When you go to a dine in nice restaurant, you're expecting to wait. You're expecting to sit down, you're expecting to wait, and you're expecting to pay a lot more than you would at a drive through restaurant. So, every single brand where it's either a mystery box or the product itself is over a hundred dollars. I make sure to formulate that identity that kind of tells that story that we are a dine in service. This is a more premium product rather than your drive through every day, target Walmart type of product.
1: Frankie, what is a mystery box and what is the business behind it? Like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, it's a mystery box there's probably a bunch of different clothing that would come in it when you buy it you sort of get surprised with whatever you get inside it yeah I I guess explain more
0: yeah mystery box is basically like you said a box that has a ton of different items and it's more of a deal that you can't refuse tune in Tokyo we have literally the best deal it was a lot better back then but obviously like inflation a lot of things have changed since but we've went from like 15 plus products to for a hundred dollars to now it's like 10 10 11 products for like 120 dollars which is still great so like put yourself in in a 18 like 17 year old or 16 year old kids shoes they're going to high school and around summer they need to do summer shopping back to school shopping and if they can just buy one box that contains Four shirts, two hoodies, one long sleeve stickers, a backpack for $100 to $150. They've pretty much done all of their shopping in one go. And that's where we really thrive is we're giving them a deal that they can't refuse. It's such a great deal. But there is a hit or miss. Like Tuned in Tokyo, we are a discount brand. We're not a premium brand high perceived value brand we're more of a bang for your buck brand um there is other companies that i've started that are the complete opposite where it's one t-shirt is going for 80 dollars one hoodie is 150 dollars it's just you have to pick and choose uh tuned in tokyo though is great because we sell over 300 units a day when you count everything it's over 300 so over a week we're selling thousands and thousands of products so we have more leverage with our manufacturers my manufacturers that i deal with love us my my the people my shipping carriers the logistics they love us everyone that we deal with with tuned in tokyo we get red carpet service because of how much business we bring them with other companies you may be selling a hundred you might do a million a month selling a thousand order or let's just say a hundred orders. Like every order is like 10,000 plus or whatever. And you are only really giving them a thousand or a hundred orders. We're giving them thousands and thousands of orders, hundreds and hundreds of units per day. So at the end of the day, you just kind of pick and choose which one kind of floats your boat. If someone
1: was starting, because we do have sort of a young entrepreneurial audience, is there like a hybrid between drop shipping and mystery boxes that you could do like is it possible to find a supplier find five find 10 products for like five dollars each and then sell this sort of mystery box with these 10 sort of products for 127
0: i i mean yeah anything's pretty much possible especially in china but It's all depending on like your offer and your community at the end of the day, like when I think about drop shipping. Are you reselling products that are already out there in the world that's the problem like that's what you find in the malls literally that's what you find in the malls. What you want to do is you want to create your own products. so like even with tuned in Tokyo we some of I would say 30% of our products that are on tuned in Tokyo are print on demand but we're able to use apps shopify apps like mbc bundles where you can literally like um pre-pack everything from your supplier and get it shipped into one box pretty much so yeah. you're shipping multiple items through one product and so it's, it's it's essentially like a mystery box that's something that you can do and again it's print on demand so all of those designs that we're selling are our own original designs but to like drop ship and resell and put things into a box it may or may not work not i'm not against drop shipping unless you have your own original products i think that drop shipping you really have to brand private label and and just work like more intense like it was funny because in 2017 drop shipping was huge bro like you can set up a drop shipping store and like a a posture correction, like, I don't know, backpack or something like that that can really like sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands a month. Nowadays, it's really difficult to do something like that. So drop shipping has definitely evolved and I'm glad I didn't take that route. I had that route, I had that chance to take that route and stop what I was doing and work on something that's going to be like make me a quick buck, but instead I worked on tuned in Tokyo, I was in basically back Cape and I worked on branding, most importantly, I worked on how to build a community. So now for all of my products, I build products for my customers for my community it's never what I think is going to sell it's never what I think like is trending or what I like I build everything that i do around my customer and so when i present an offer through a mystery box through whatever it is that we're doing it's all made for them and when you're drop shipping someone else made the or reselling i'm saying reselling drop shipping someone else made those designs someone else made those products you didn't make those products for your customers so it's just you're gonna have to work three four times harder than i do when I don't have to aggressively sell to my customers. Every time I run ads, it's already bought. My customers will automatically buy them if they have the money for it. If they don't, then obviously they don't. But more than likely, I don't have to explain to my customers why they need to buy my products.
1: Frankie, what do you think has the most impact on you being able to consistently get 35 $45 CPAs. Is it the creative? Is it the offer? Is it the landing page? They probably all have an impact. Does one have a bigger impact than the others?
0: It's it, there's so much involvement. Like I, I truly believe that you have to constantly release new products on your site. We have a 37% return customer rate on Tuned in Tokyo, which is really high. So our lifetime value for our cus for if you look at my analytics, the lifetime value of my customers exceed like seven hundred dollars. So they're coming back again and again and again. And the reason why is because we're releasing new products every single two weeks, and we're also updating our site. So our site doesn't look the same every month. We're not doing themes. We're just updating the tiles on the on on our home page and the products that are on our home page. So it's always being changed. And this gives someone when they come back, a new feeling, holy crap, there's all these new items, like whoa, where, where have I been this entire time? And you want that, you constantly want that. So um, that's helped a lot, definitely with our CPAs and we're really aggressive with with like ads. I mean, I, I'm running over 50 different campaigns on just Facebook right now. So my strategy on Facebook is really low budget So anywhere from $20 to $30 uh, CBOs, 50 of them, and have like eight creatives, eight ads per ad set and 10 ad sets per campaign. Um, And these are just like new interest campaigns that I've built and that's what's really helped. So it's just a ton, a ton of different doors and uh, that are open with, with ads in itself. And I think that that's what's really, really helped and our content too, I mean, we're shoot, I get over a hundred pieces of content every single month. Uh, so we always do a shoot. We do two, shoot, two shoots per week. One is with the videographer that we send all of our products to. And one is with my business partner where he'll, he'll go out in the field and shoot himself. So we're always revolving. We always have a routine of shooting content every week, every single week. We haven't missed one week ever.
1: Wow. Is Facebook that powerful where if you have, say, 10 CBOs and you have, you know, 10 ad set per CBO and each one of those ads that has one product, one design, Facebook will somehow be able to find the winning product, the winning design, and sort of find the best of the best. And is that what you usually do? And just It's a numbers game, pushing out as many designs, products as possible and letting Facebook pick the best ones?
0: Well, we know, like, I read our analytics, like 60, almost 67% of our sales are coming from mystery boxes. So I'm gonna make sure that the majority of our ads are mystery box ads. So Mm -hmm. I know like I'm in control of everything that's being shown. Like right now we just released a collection of like these like miniature wheel, miniature like rim stuff. Like it's kind of hard to explain if you're not a car fan, but it's wheels, these miniature wheels. and that's popping right now like we're getting like 18x ROAS on one campaign and 8x ROAS on another so I'm duplicating it I'm going crazy right now with those uh so those that's when I have to think like okay like my analytics are showing that this product is really selling so I'm going to be pushing that more towards Facebook so it's it's Facebook does a really great job at like optimization but as far as like just giving it the option to like what to sell like i'll never do that for sure um and and i rarely send people to the home page unless it's an ad that has like more than eight products uh like a video that has more than eight products but if it's specifically on one product i'm just going to send them straight to to that product page
1: when you initially tested that wheels idea what was your testing process did you start with retargeting Saw that it did well and then went cold. Or, what's usually your process for testing new designs, products, creatives?
0: Yeah, um, I think everyone has that. You just got to go off that 80 20 rule like 80 percent, like 20 percent of your products are going to give you 80 percent of your revenue. So, 80 percent of your ads should be on that top 20 percent, and then you should be just testing 20 percent over and over new products. So eventually something's gonna catch. Like the wheels, I have a system, I have like a strategy, a formula system that I kind of just test with every single product. And it's like four different strategies. And if one of them hits, then we have a good product. Uh, But more than likely, I think that it's just like going through the funnel of like your strategies and just testing all of these out. If it works, it works. Then obviously we have like a really big email and SMS list that we're pushing these new products to to existing customers. But I'm always paying attention to what products are selling uh weekly and kind of like migrating our ad spend towards whatever is working. It's like playing blackjack, you know, um or or like let's say you're in control of a gambler. Like let's say you paid someone to gamble for you and you have five different blackjack tables. And one and two are doing great. Are you going to continue to gamble on those three other tables? No, you're going to put more money towards what's working. So that's something I'm always doing: is I'm doubling and tripling down on what's working.
1: Frankie, if you were to lose everything and you had to restart today, you kept all your knowledge. You don't have your sort of network and sort of sort of influences that you know. Um, maybe you have two or three thousand dollars what would you do in today's market Frankie
0: if I just had two to three thousand dollars and no network no what about like my wisdom do I have my wisdom
1: you keep all your wisdom you are you who you are you today
0: well like I'm biased because this is all I know this is all I've done so I would build another clothing brand Um, and it's just because like if if I have the smarts that I have today, I mean I built I built drip with the $5,000 credit card and we did 4.5 million our first year, so I would just figure that out, I would figure out how to build the next clothing brand and I wouldn't be aiming for millions, I would be aiming for like six figures. And grow it little by little you know just to get my income from $3,000 to 5000 or $6,000 reoccurring and then eventually get to 10 so. I would work my way up for sure.
1: And Frankie, how would you spend that one to $3,000 you have? Um, would you put it all on Facebook and hope to find a winning campaign? Or is there a smarter way to sort of spend that money if that's all you had?
0: So I, like to me, the $3,000 is more than enough. And the reason why is because I started my entrepreneur journey with nothing at all like even tuned in Tokyo I started it with nothing so it's what you know you want to get so good and so smart about your craft that when you tell someone to invest into your business or invest in a certain way they will do it for instance with with um the brand that I had before tuned in Tokyo this was just t-shirts I went up to a manufacturer And I told him, look, this is my vision, this is what I want to make, I believe that we're going to sell XYZ, and I told him the whole plan, I basically made a commercial for him, and he was so pumped up about this, and he didn't have a lot of money, but he said, look, what I'll do is I can't give you money, I can't invest into your business, but what I will do is if you help me, like after your job, If you come here and you help me like from like seven to 12 o'clock at night, we will print all your t-shirts together. And once you sell everything, I just want a percentage of, of the profits and if you do what you say you're going to do, I will redo that again until you tell me not to. And that and that person right now, he prints all of our mystery boxes for tuned in Tokyo so he's doing really, really great. So I came back one day and I gave him tuned in Tokyo and he's the happiest person. I've literally changed his life. And so I wouldn't do anything like honestly, $3,000 is definitely enough. If you have the wisdom, and the smarts for sure. And if you're completely obsessed with what you're doing, because somebody will give you will invest in you, maybe not with money, but with time, an opportunity, a connection that could eventually help you. And i think that that's what i would do man like i uh, like maybe the maybe a, an influencer doesn't know who i am because you said i can't use my network but i would eventually i'm like so ambitious that i would probably go to a meet and greet and kind of tell them the plan the vision that i can build you a brand i can partner with you i can work with you and use your existing audience and your fans and i can do xyz and together you promote and I fulfill and I create, we will build something huge that you can never build on your own. So I think that there's a lot of ways to make money. I'm just a little bit biased with what I've done over the last 15 years. So I wouldn't do anything else that's, that's any different.
1: Interesting. So let's say someone saves the money, they sort of take your advice, they go the print and demand route where there's no upfront sort of capital you fulfill based on, upon order. How would that individual then create the design, find the niche that they should enter, and then find and attract customers? Like Even if you go to a show, you get an influencer to wear it and post it, that might give them five orders, 10 orders, so they've made $100, $200, and I guess they can just rinse and repeat that, but how do they get that to a six-figure business from only $3,000?
0: So, what I was saying is, I would try to partner with the influencer. So mm. now you're like always getting that because influencers don't have time to build their own brand. Mm. Yeah. And we're not talking about merch. I would say, let's build our brand together. But yeah, like obviously, you can do print on demand. That's like really, really safe. And I'm always, always, I'm actually working on like the first ever print on demand service for streetwear where I've recreated blanks that here in America are very expensive really expensive and now they're gonna be affordable at print on demand with no minimums and you can print your t-shirts just like this at no minimum. So that's something that I would like look forward to as far as like if I had two to $3,000, but number one, you said it, you have to find your customer, your niche before you do anything. Like if you wanna play it safe, you need to be able to provide designs or, or products that people want to buy, that you're not having to sell them to. For instance, in 2022, early, or like, actually, I'm sorry, 20 2021, late 2021, November, I had this idea where I wanted to create uh, jerseys and, and for Disneyland goers, not Disneyland specifically, but amusement park goers, uh, because I went there one day And I saw that everybody rocks these jerseys and they're always like rocking their family name and it's kind of coming as a pack as a team, and I thought it was really cool at first I wanted to do t shirts but then I said. No, it needs to be more unique and I saw someone wearing like jerseys and they're always wearing the ones that they buy at Disney and they're expensive they're like $200 $250 so I basically figured out a way where I can recreate jerseys that are inspired by disney universal um famous cartoons and stuff like that and i started park friends and i worked out a really great deal with the manufacturer by bugging them for six months straight to work out a no minimum deal where i can or i can literally get orders in and they would fulfill those orders so they would it's basically like drop ship of branded drop shipping and um yeah with that brand we're almost at seven figures in sales, and I started that company with maybe like eleven thousand dollars. so I kind of did it the same way. It's a little bit more expensive, but yeah, I think that it's always I've always bootstrapped doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank account. I'm always in a bootstrap my way up and and I think that the just high perceived value unique products that are built around your customers will always work. And if you can get a no minimum, then you really have no risk. With Facebook ads, when anyone ever asks you like an agency, first of all, you should learn how to run your own ads. You don't want to go with an agency or a person. Most of the time people are going to ask like, well, what's your budget for marketing? My budget is make money and I'll spend more money. That's my budget. So like with ads, I start at 30 bucks a day and I just wiggle up slowly by slowly, eventually I'll get to 500 a day. And one day, maybe it's not doing good. So I'll go back down to 200 and it's kind of like riding waves. There's no set budget. My budget is I make money. I update my ad spend as soon as I make money. And if I don't, I slow it down. So uh, I think that people can really build a brand with $3,000 as long as they're not investing into stock as long as they're not investing into their own ideas, their own creation, their own delusional mind of that I'm going to sell this logo T-shirt and it's going to sell to everyone. Like, no, you should do the complete opposite. Figure out your niche, your customers, what they want, and then create designs, not logos, designs revolving about, around what they want to buy. With no minimums, then you really have no risk
1: frankie with park friends after you sort of locked down that sort of partnership did you go straight to facebook ads to start marketing your products and was it profitable day one if so how and why
0: so we didn't run facebook ads for quite some time like i honestly i worked on that company for almost a year i think it was like nine months before we launched it but over that time like we did make some money like i would hit 5 grand one month 10,000 one month and we would stop and then cuz i was testing my manufacturer to see if they were going to fulfill the orders we're talking about high premium jerseys here they're not sublimated these are embroidered patches it's if you guys look the details are amazing on that brand so it did take some time and so we would coast around like Ten thousand dollars here, then nothing, then twenty thousand dollars, and the way I got that was organic. So we were doing uh Instagram reels, TikTok reels, especially Instagram when it was like TikTok was starting to pop, so Instagram was kind of pushing reels more and giving us really good attention. So that worked, and that most of our like or our sales really came organically, but eventually, like towards the end, I did start running ads. So towards the end of last year. So I think in Nov, it was December. We missed Black Friday. <laughs> it was terrible, but toward December, that's when we actually started running ads and we were profitable like day 1. So we did 100 we we basically the month before I ran ads, we did like 20,000 in sales. Then I ran ads in December and we did 150,000 plus. So then after that it was just like even in January we did 180,000 of this year so um yeah i mean we definitely like went too crazy like that we had to stop our ads and see if our manufacturer can deliver all those orders but uh i think that's it's just we're creating products that people want to buy and like i forgot to mention with jerseys we put their name on there we were able to put your name so it's like one of one you put your name your favorite number you choose like the inspired design that we created for you it was in reality, we kind of just replicated what I did with drip, with customizing shoes, and we did it with jerseys.
1: Frankie, and then how did you go about getting those initial 20K organically? Like 20K, would that be like roughly maybe 20 million views organically on Reels and TikTok, or even maybe less? I don't know the sort of conversion rates, but how did you get so many views before you guys even had an official launch?
0: You got, it's the weirdest thing ever. Like I, I didn't look at our views, but you guys, you never know who's gonna buy it. Like even with drip, like someone randomly bought our jer- our our shoe one day and made a YouTube video, and the video got like four hundred thousand views, and we we did a twenty thousand dollar day, and that's when the influencer marketing like light bulb went off. And the same thing happened with Park Friends. Someone that does like vlogging. At Disneyland, bought our jersey and automatically did it. Then we started getting a couple other influencers to reach out to us that are YouTubers and some I think were TikTokers. So that was a, a great route, just like influencer organic marketing. Some of them bought it and kind of just reviewed it themselves on, and posted it on TikTok. And yeah, like uh, my intentions, like I don't really care too much about the ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar month. Because I didn't run ads, I want to be in full control like influencer marketing direct traffic is awesome, but it's not sustainable and not reliable like how long can you continue to write off of. A a real a video a viral like post like how long will it last, at least with ads, you can keep it going, so my real test was in November of last year uh, late November that's when I started it when I started running ads in. Yeah, it's like we built a multi six figure a month brand. And I think we've already passed seven figures in sales, but it's one of like the lower brands that I have.
1: Knowing that ads is sort of that long term play because it's something that is consistent and that's something that you can't control. How do you know to go all in or put nine months into something and then you you haven't even tested Facebook ads? So are there like are there stories where nine months in you run ran the facebook ads and it flopped or does that usually never happen
0: uh the only one that i that flopped was because i couldn't run run ads on it so like um i i had this company that i was building called squeakers and i know it could work 100 percent. and it wasn't even that i couldn't run ads shopify pl- uh, flagged my products as alcohol bev and sex toys and it wasn't, it was It was dog toys. That's what I was trying to sell. And I, and I had the perfect name, the perfect like setup. I mean, it was beautiful. I was essentially turning like real life, trendy people and products into dog toys and kind of like in a parody version of it. Right now, like the biggest thing, one of the biggest seltzers right now is called Happy Dad with Nelk Boys. We did the same thing, we called it Happy Pups. And it's basically a little can. We it's so smart and uh, shopify didn't let us like list our products and shut down my account and after that I was like um, i'm not even going to try to like black hat this or recreate it. I don't want any problems i've that's the reason why i've stayed away from like CBD and the cannabis industry, because if I can't clearly run ads if i'm going to deal with a lot of processing issues. Uh, I don't even want to do it so that's a company that I worked on for like six months and then it's not that i ever I, I didn't even have a chance to launch i did shoot like content i shot everything and it's just a brand that i know could have worked it's just yeah other than that i do everything for the long term so i'm not here for like i what never has amused me man and like i, I said this earlier with the drop shipping phase is quick money because i, I think it stems from like my childhood i want security i want safety if i do anything it needs to make me money for like years two three four five maybe ten years like tuned in tokyo we started in 2015 we're eight and a half years old we're almost about to be a decade and i won't ever do anything for the for quick money it just doesn't amuse me it has never amused me so sometimes you have to put in months maybe a year maybe two years before you get something off the ground. But if you're trying to do that for like the rest of your life, you're gonna have to give it the rest of your life. Like people quit in five to eight months. That's, a, that's like literally hilarious. Like why, if you're trying to do this for the rest of your life, you gotta give it probably the rest of your life to make it work. Bruce Lee was amazing at martial arts because he is a master at his craft. So I do believe in mastery. You got to get so good at what you do that people will eventually respect you for it.
1: Frankie, so like, let's have an idea. How do I know it's going to work or if it's worth investing? Like, for example, I had an idea where I wanted, I've seen other people do this already. So I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do it. But sort of doing print on demand, but have it be like Simpson cartoon, shirts and it'll be custom where we have a designer create like a simpson version of you frankie and you could put yourself on a shirt or of your family I could send in a photo of your friend and we'll do like a simpson hoodie of your friend looking like simpson yellow let's say that's one of the ideas it's probably going to take five six months to properly build out but how do i know if it would work after five six months and if i should invest five six months into this idea
0: Because like, you you gotta just be clear on your demographics. Like, are they going to buy that product? It's not about like what you think is going to sell. Like, Mm -hmm. for instance, think about this with Park Friends. I am like, I don't know if you're not from from, like United States, but California, when you visit California, the first thing you think about is, is Hollywood or Disneyland. Like those two things. And Disneyland is quote unquote, Like that's their slogan the happiest place on earth so i am building brands that are around what gives people joy and happiness so and on top of that their favorite inspired movies tv shows cartoons i'm blending in everything that they love with something personal on top of it their family last name their favorite number So when you mix everything like that together, that's when you know you can build a unicorn product that's going to work. Then you have like all the leverage in the world. With Drip, when I approached like Logan Paul, Logan Paul had uh, like, he was starting, he didn't even have, he had like a Maverick, something like a Maverick club or something. It was kind of like his own OnlyFans, a club for his fans. And I basically, sent him mock-ups virtual mock-ups of a shoe custom shoe with his logos on it and it had maverick and all these different like cool options and he loved it he's like send it to me please like now send me the address i sent him the shoes next thing you know he's rocking it on like some red carpets and and it's be- he wore it because of two things one he ha- he's now wearing something that he knows he can't buy anywhere else and two, it's personalized for him. So it, it, and it has something that he loves too. I think that there's some sort of formula there that I feel like people would, as long as they know that it was made for them, they're going to end up buying it. And that's what I do with all my clothing brands. That's what I do. I, I I give them what they want. So when you work on something for five, six months, you just have to be very sure that you're creating products for them. On top of that, too, like, I like that it takes five, six months, because it took five, six months. If it took you five, six months, it's not that easy to recreate. So competition is going to be kind of hard. Part friends, we have no competition. Drip Creations, we have no competition. There's no competition, because nobody has the balls to do what we want, what we did. And and that's what you want. So the longer it takes for me, it's actually a good thing. Interesting.
1: So like, for example, the average person in e com the, the current, the amount of balls they'll put into something is they'll find a product that has proven demand. Let's say the body shaper. A lot of females love that product. It's proven to work. It's sort of solving a problem. It looks good. It's trendy. Kim Kardashian, all the Kardashians wear it. They might put in the effort to white label it, get nice packaging, increase AOV, put in some nice bundle. And that's sort of the amount of effort they're willing to do. How do you go about finding unicorn ideas that you can put in even more effort and has more potential? Like what advice do you have when it comes to thinking of unicorn ideas?
0: So like one of the most poppin like type of industries right now is the fitness industry. And everyone, whether you're a female or, or a male, like if you're a female, you wanna create leggings, body shape, stuff like that. But what's unique about that? There's there, that, those products are everywhere. And everyone like entrepreneurs have like, we're a little delusional at times. And I do my best to like not be as biased and step outside the box to see if this is really good. But most of the time, most entrepreneurs think that something's going to work because they clearly see that it's working in the industry, but it's already oversaturated. There's nothing unique about it. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to work for you. I'm saying it's going to take you so much more time and money to make it work for you. Mm -hmm. I don't have to work hard for anything. My products are already sold. I just got to get it in front of you. That's it. It was made for you. Why wouldn't you buy it? So that's why, like, I think that everyone's always trying to create products, man, that are already out there in the world. There's nothing unique about them. And I don't know, I think that maybe it's like, like I think that people are really missing the point when it comes to brand building. You need a creative director. So I believe that there's four major roles when you're starting a business, four major roles, especially in clothing. But I feel like this applies to anything at the very beginning. The first role is the most common one. You need a CEO. And by the way, these roles are roles, they're not people. So you don't need four people. You probably need two, and you guys split each role. But, anyways, like the first one is CEO, which is probably like the leader, the visionary. You have the idea, you kind of see it, You, you see the whole entire movie rather than the details. Okay. Then the second one, which is important, is the CMO. You need somebody that's in charge of marketing and all things marketing. Uh, The third thing is a COO, which is like the operations fulfillment and so on. And the fourth one that everyone forgets about is a creative director. You need a creative director. You need someone that has created different products and knows products, product building, R&D, and stuff like that, that can create, like literally the architect. I always like think about like the Titanic. There was an architect that like built out the Titanic. So after the Titanic was built out with the architect and the engineers behind it, the CEO was the one that had that idea of the Titanic and the third, or he didn't even have the idea of how it looked, he just knew that there was, we need to create a luxury, like massive yacht for like, that's gonna be overly expensive and we're gonna have the richest people come on this boat. That was his idea, but the way it looked wasn't his idea. So you need a creative director to come in and do that. And then you need a marketer, CMO, to get that boat or that idea in front of everyone, to invite everyone onto that boat. And the COO is essentially the person that's in charge on that boat. He needs to make sure that everyone gets from A to B, your products from A to your customers, and, and make sure that everything in between is operating successfully. So those are the four major roles that I believe that people fail to um, understand at the very beginning.
1: You're totally right about the fact that a lot of business owners or entrepreneurs, for some reason, they look for something that's already working and they sort of try to do it and do it a bit better. And all of a sudden now you're putting in a lot of hard work mm to make it work. In the clothing space, how do you sort of, like, where's the gap? Because it's, it's basically, it's so hard to create a better design, create higher quality products, create a better cut, better fit. Like it's so difficult to sort of push those barriers because those already barriers have already been pushed to its limits. So where's the untapped gaps?
0: That's easy. Like I, like i said i didn't want to stick for park friends i didn't want to stick to t-shirts and hoodies i chose jerseys no one tries jerseys because they're too hard to do socks like that's the thing is you have to hone in on one one style of product on the human body whether it's watches whether you're just a hat company whether you're just shorts you don't want to be the a to z here's blah 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 we sell hats t-shirts hoodies jerseys like you don't want to be that you want to be known for one specific thing think about all the brands that are out there that always release that secondary or third product doesn't do that well i see it all the time it doesn't do that well drip we tried clothing eh didn't really work shoes are was our bread and butter and that's where we needed to stick to so we were known for shoes don't try to like add xyz because more than likely it's not going to work and you're going to have like a problem with like uh brand identity for sure
1: so as you mentioned that i was trying to think okay what are some things that i'm currently wearing that there's no no one that's like big comes to mind so i was like okay rings pens maybe a scarf maybe vest jackets like but then like how do i like how does someone know and, and put in six months on like a pen company and sort of know that this could be something big because like even with rings
0: there is no guarantee but i feel like if you get so much attention in the world like when you when you like get into high level marketing you really like understand like think about this i can put i can put like a picture of dog shit on a t-shirt and there's 7 billion people in this world. It's a numbers game. So if somehow I click, I press the button and all 7 billion people like saw this t-shirt, more than likely, we would probably sell over $100,000 worth of this t-shirt. And you would think no one will buy a picture of dog shit. No one will buy a picture of this egg. No one will buy anything like that, but it happens. It's a numbers game. You knock on a thousand doors, 100 might open one might pull the trigger so it's how can you do that without spending all of your money at the lowest cost possible so if you guys really look your best days with e-commerce are probably going to be the days where you have the most traffic on your site well how can you get that same quality traffic every single day at the lowest cost possible so and at the same time, brand building, you will always win. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be a multi seven-figure, eight-figure, nine-figure brand. You, your brand might just be a low six-figure company. And that's just what it is. But at the end of the day, it's all about like how much traffic, how much attention those items are getting. And when they get there, what are you presenting them? What are, how does it look? So people just don't try hard enough and at the end of the day your products have to be a $100 average order value or you're wasting your time. Wow. So
1: now let's say you have a few items, a few ideas like a ring, pen, scarf, vest. How do you go ahead and start narrowing down which of these are the best? Are there criteria that you look for, Frankie?
0: Um I just try to be unique like like think about rugs. Mm. Rugs are a big deal right now like just just drop the top rugs are awesome like people love rugs now you don't want to be general about it pick a niche is it anime rugs is it whatever xyz rugs pick mm-hmm. a niche and just be that brand for rugs and go hard create content go super hard try to do as much as you can to be involved in that community like that's something that people just don't do they don't do the hard work and drop shippers have gotten like lazy, like a lot of drop shippers didn't migrate to branded branded drop shipping because it was harder. I don't want to do influencer marketing. It's hard. Now I have to talk to people. I don't want to do events because now I have to put together an event. I don't want to work on my laptop in Costa Rica. Like that, that's just not what it is. No one does that. No one at, no one at a high level does that.
1: You're so right. Like all of a sudden, like you can go from selling a cap to selling anime caps where it has like logos of different anime characters. And all of a sudden it makes it way easier to build a community.
0: It's all about the product with the community. As long as you have a great, amazing product that was built for them, it will sell.
1: Frankie, how do you go about building community? Like you can post organic content, get followers on your Instagram account, but then, you know, you might, you know, as we all know, you, you can grow to a million followers. And every time you post, only 40,000 people, 20,000 people see your post. And like the people that follow you, they're not really talking to each other. There might be a bit of interaction in the comment section. But how do you build like an actual community?
0: So at Tuned in Tokyo, it, like we, we throw events. So we threw events for our community. Um we're always involved in like the car industry, car clubs and stuff like that. So just a ton, a ton of of events that we've hosted and we've thrown ourselves. Like we've thrown at least seven or eight shows. And every single show has had more than 4000 people attend. Our first one had 7000 people attend. It's on YouTube, tuned in Tokyo SoCal, type that in, and you'll see how many people showed up. But like, yeah it's it's always about that and, and think about this like i always look at communities that i know that there are specific public figures in it that i know i can make products for if i can land an influencer three or four of them and they love this niche they're heavily involved in this niche and now i'm creating a product just for them that i can give to them more than likely they're going to accept it and post it and as soon as they post it you start building traction there and then eventually just running ads, you know, you get follows, they they, they come back. And or over, over time, your community just starts to build, man. It takes time, but time is all we have at the beginning where you don't have nothing else you're working on.
1: Rugs was one of the ideas you mentioned. And it just, when you said it was like, yeah, rugs are really in the sort of hype at the moment. If you were to come up with five different ideas at the top of your mind right now one what would the five things be and two how did you know and and think of those five
0: i mean so right now it's hot and it gets hot like most of the year like year-round in different areas so shorts are are definitely a good one just to do shorts in general and people stay away from shorts because it's not that easy to do Mm. um denim denim is big too so, denim is something that I know I'm getting my my like my hands in for sure, um like pants and stuff like that. uh let's see what else rugs I love rugs for sure canvases canvases are a big one, and you need to like be very very good at canvas. I'm talking about the quality does matter with canvases. It can't What's be like that? no cheap china shit these oh. art, art so art for sure. Uh that's in a specific niche, not general, not um not for entrepreneurs, not motivational because that's already been done. Don't be the Pepsi cult to someone's cola, you know, like it's just leave it alone. So that's four. The last one, I don't know, I'd, I'd have to really think about that, but those are those are a good four that I would start with to be honest.
1: Frankie, what's your process of finding good designers that you can sort of rely on and sort of have control over because that might be a bit bottleneck. Like, let's say I want to get into canvases. I hire a designer that can make, you know, anime versions of people, like create a one-piece version of you or a Hunter x Hunter version of you. Now, one, I'm relying completely on that sort of editor, like any advice on finding sort of great designers?
0: So I have... It's kind of a little difficult because I have two designers that work for me, uh, that have been working for me for quite some time. But I found them off of Indeed. We have like Indeed here in in the states, and if you go to Indeed.com, you can type in like graphic designers, and they all they all of them attach their portfolio. So I would be obsessed with this because like designing is such a big deal to me. I would scroll through all the portfolios. And even if I didn't hire them full time, I would hire them to pay them per piece. Um, But that's also another opportunity for you guys to find a creative director for your brand. Because that's something you never want to worry about is these graphics, these designs. Like if you don't have it in you, like the ideas, well, you need to partner with somebody that is going to have them. While you focus more on the business and the marketing side, like you have to be self-aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at. And partner with the people that are better at at that than than myself. Like I'm not the best when it comes to like leadership, management, and um I guess like accounting, finances, legal, and all that crap. I know it all. I've done it all. I hate it. So I always partner with somebody that can do those things, and I'll take care of the creative side, the marketing side, the branding side of things.
1: Frankie, with sort of. Organic content, social media, Facebook ads. All these platforms, you know, with Facebook, they're always going to try to squeeze your margins. It's going to always get more expensive. With social media like TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, your reach is always going to get lower and lower. How do you sort of build something where eventually you can sort of wean off these things and on its own, just off your email list, off your community? And I don't know what the best way to put your community together but do it in a long-term way where it sort of has that flywheel effect and it keeps growing on your own and you're not reliant on these sort of platforms.
0: Yeah, it's really cool because like like I said, TuneIn Tokyo has a 37% return customer rate. So if we turned off our ads, we would definitely take a hit, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like maybe we do like, yeah, maybe we do over seven figures a year with no ads, just our organic. And I think that that's really cool because like, then there's a safety net there that we're not always having to like rely on paid traffic, but you still have to work hard. Those 37% are coming back to look for new products. And if you're not delivering new products, then it's gonna keep going down and down and down and down. So I think releasing new products, new collections is really important that you always do that. And that's what keeps like the brand alive in a way and it takes time. Like this is an eight year old brand, you know? Um, we weren't at first, like it was the funniest thing ever. We had hundreds of thousands of followers. And this is when when uh, Instagram was like in chronological order. We thought that because we had these large pages on Instagram that we were gonna sell $10,000 like right away. It took months before we even like got 10,000 in total sales. So it does take time and we could have quit, but we just kept it going. Um, And eventually towards the last three months, that's where we made the most money. So it's just a process, man. You just cannot give up. Keep digging.
1: One of the things you inspired me, because I know a lot of our audience, I have a lot of followers that are in the consulting sort of um, info product space. And that space is very dry, very boring. But then just chatting with you, now I'm starting to think of like, you know activities, events, filming content, showing all the different people coming together, and then now you're sort of building a community around a, a around entrepreneurship and business around your let's say drop shipping and, and bringing people together, and then filming content that could attract more people. What are some innovating ideas that you might have when you look at a boring space like consulting and info products? Like how could you spice that up? Because you can't keep launching new products because you usually only have that one product
0: yeah well that's keeping things in personal like you said events i love events like i i host my own events all the time and i think that that's what like keeps us keeps me motivated is meeting new people doing things in person having fun and always like revolving all of your like your brand identity whether it's a personal brand or your business it, around joy the happiness of But of people like that's what's most important to me nowadays. Like um, you know, before it was difficult for sure, but now like a lot's changed. You know, I'm not so heavy on like revenue. Like I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm definitely like okay. And I still have a lot more to like learn and and grow for sure. But as far as financial things, I'm not trying to be the next Gary V or a billionaire. I'm okay. Like compared to where I first started, compared to like where i thought i was going to end up i've surpassed that by far so i'm so happy with what i have and uh yeah i'm just i'm 31 years old i feel like i could do another five more years of just grinding my face off like eat shit grind like my face off like i don't have a dollar in my name and then eventually be like okay like enough's enough let's balance things out a little bit let's not stop but let's balance it let's work on the health let's work on myself and, and so on but right now i'm i still feel young i have a lot of energy and yeah um but events is definitely a motivational thing for sure in the digital space especially uh i have my own master class too for brand building and it revo- it's all revolving around clothing and that's something that I've done to like keep people motivated and freshen up is I throw these events, these networking events for them, and they're having a blast, man. Like there's no better way of like keeping things fresh and and, and cool if you're meeting them in person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now the only thing that comes to my mind is like it, it feels like it's it's not as scalable because you're having to put an event every two or three months. You're showing up in person. You're inviting people you can only have say 100 people in a room and then you can take content the content might do well and then after you reach x amount of people then that content disappears you might be able to reuse that content in the future but it feels like this constant never-ending sort of again and again and again
0: well like you want to know like those type of businesses aren't something you want to be remembered for to be honest i i uh So there's something called like 100 MME, where I paid $100,000 to be in. It's like a club where it's like you have in order to be in it, you have to do over eight figures a year with your business. And uh, I ended up being a part of it when I got there. I mean, there is people that are doing hundreds of million a year, like heavy hitters in the coaching space, like your Ty Lopez's, your Gary V's, like the top of the top with the coaching space. I was one of the more popular people in that space because of my businesses. Mm -hmm. So although I felt like I'm a shrimp compared to these guys, these whales, I still was looked at one of the more popular, coolest people to interact with there because of literally my fashion brands. Everybody and their mama has always wanted to start a clothing brand. It's like someone's dream. And I've done it over and over again throughout the years. Like, I don't know that to me, that matters. Like me being a coach, me helping people, that's awesome. Me providing a service to people, that's great. But my identity is with my brands for sure. And my businesses. So keeping things cool, that cool factor is definitely not there in the coaching space for sure.
1: That's such insightful for our female audience. What's your advice for them? Because right now there's makeup, there's beauty, there's body shapers, and all they can do is sort of find something and then white label it. But then as you're right, like it's already been done. It's already saturated. They can get those items from a different brand from Kmart. And then you can't, like, it's really hard to make a brand new makeup, a brand new fitness item. What would your advice be for female entrepreneurs in that case?
0: You know, I think that it is like a heavily oversaturated industry, but you just, man, you just have to stick to the code, like the brands, the ideas that I gave you, it doesn't matter whether it's male or female, like it just depends on who your community is, like pick your demographics, your niche, before you even think of an idea, a product, find out who you want to sell to, then figure out what they like, what they hate what they enjoy most what they love who what magazines what shows what influencers they love and then just create a product around all of that and that'll answer because there's nothing that like if if you can find the answer right in front of you that's probably a problem for sure (laughs) you want to be able to come up with something that's fresh and it's not going to happen with anything that you see that's already been done.
1: Frankie, you are talking about sort of your upbringing and sort of growing up with not much money. What problems was making money able to solve and what problems did it not solve?
0: So money solves like the majority of all problems. Money, like revenue, especially and even in your business, it solves Almost all the problems you get now eventually you get bigger problems, but if you make more money, you can solve those problems there is nothing that you can't do in this world that can solve, even if it's like health health. Like i'll I'll make two scenarios here and money is not everything to me, but it is a tool, so I learned how to use it as a tool, but with health money can get you the best opportunity for health with doctors nutrition consultants that can help you build the best you possible if my wife and I are fighting right now if we just got in a big fight and it's pretty bad or whatever I could just book a trip to Paris first class business whatever and we're having a great time we'll make it up out there you get what I'm saying like there's certain things that money can definitely help and the majority of the problems in this world are Money problems. And so that has definitely helped a lot. But, you know, that's just, yeah, I think that that's, that's the thing. Now, does money buy happiness? I think money buys opportunity for happiness.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Frankie. I had so much fun chatting with you today. Frankie, where can people find more about you? Look into your masterclass, look into your programs, follow your brands. Where's the best place for people to go to?
0: instagram so at frankie q u i r r o z just shoot me a follow hit me up on the dms if you need anything and i'd be happy to help thank
1: you so much Frankie. i love how raw you are how you've you know you're you're such an open person transparent you know you've been sharing everything and you're so you um like you know in the e-com space you know you see all the different e-com people And you're definitely just doing you. I can definitely feel that.
0: Thank you, man. Appreciate it. That's what I'm here for. Thank you.
1: Thank you, guys. If you guys made it this far into the episode, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, you guys got some value from today's episode. I really appreciate your time. I'll see you guys next week with another episode. Peace.